Hello and welcome to episode six of the D50 Shades of D&D podcast. I am Todd and with me are my co-hosts, James. Hey, everybody. And Rick. Hey. Uh, we're, we're still recording with Zoom, but Rick has joined me here at the luxurious Gateway Games recording studio. And uh, let me just say that uh, the changes are, I approve the... Uh, the polished wooden brass looks great. Uh, the uh, full-size portrait of us in full ZZ Top gear is uh, is also appreciated. I think the black velvet was a nice touch. We we just added in some high-end additions to the recording gear today. Prior to this, uh, so we we have uh, Rick here in the studio, but for reasons uh, we can't discuss as advised by our legal counsel, uh, Hervé. James uh, is not with us today, so he is remotely calling in from parts unknown. Hello, everybody from the warp. <laughs> so uh, today we are discussing a game everyone knows is near and dear to my heart, Castles and Crusades. We'll start off by talking about what makes castles and crusades what it is and a little bit about who makes castles and crusades so troll lord games has been around since like 2000 they actually predate the osr movement as we know it yeah and they were putting out adventure modules with their own little three or four page systems sword and sorcery before I, yeah that is new really to me. want yeah i really want details on that by the way yeah um, if anybody we'll... happens to have a copy of that in pdf or or somewhere where i can purchase that um feel free to write in so mom if you're listening um, <laughs> yeah so or kojo or kojo one, yeah, either one one really. of the two i have yeah. a, a lot of uh their stuff in my archives uh i'll talk to my lead archivist and see if we can dig that up and I'll show it to you by video or I'll take pictures of the pages and send them to you. So castles and crusades has been in print since like 2004. Uh, Troll Lord started because Steve Chenault and his brother and his buddies were wanting to fund their trip to Gen Con. Uh, I think it's, (laughs) I think it's worked out for them pretty well. Yeah. Uh, you know, I'm glad to see that they're still in business. Uh, they still have motivation to stay in business, even though Gen Con was canceled this year, you know. Or, you know, just online, virtual Gen Con. Yeah, yeah. I participated. So, oh, <laughs> the, the, the way that I typically describe Castles and Crusades to people is I say, if you took third edition D&D and stuck your hand down its throat <laughs> and pulled out everything that wasn't there during first edition, then that's kind of what you have with Castles and Crusades. That is quite the description. <laughs> so, that's so Mortal Kombat all, style uh, that's right. RPG design. Finish I it. appreciate <laughs> So the classes and races that we all know and love, uh, you know, there are fighters, there are rangers, there are uh, monks and bards, although the monk and bard is pretty different. Yeah, uh, the illusionist, but the bard 
and the monk are a bit different than what we're used to. Is uh, it uh, speak since the illusionist came up? Is it true that uh, James Ward um, did the illusionist for them, or oh, is that I, uh, something that I read in my my research and just failed to actually note down properly? I know James Ward has done a lot of work with Trollord, uh, but I don't know for sure about that. Hmm. We'll have to find that out. Something about he might have uh, he might have like maybe tinkered with their version of the illusionist to the point where now the illusionist could heal. Oh, not to the degree that, of course, a cleric can, but, you know, sort of like increasing the versatility of uh, the illusionist class. Oh, that's awesome. awesome, Because that was one of my likes for later. (laughs) (laughs) So, so we'll look into that. So it's, it's a pretty straight up D20 system. uh, As we all know, and have played for years with, ascending armor class and the basic mechanic is you roll a d20 and add your bonuses no matter what you're doing the siege engine instead of a list of skills you have primary attributes that you basically get bonuses when doing anything related to those so if strength is a primary attribute Instead of having to roll an 18 to knock down a door, you have to roll a 12. If intelligence is your primary attribute, if you're trying to dredge up some piece of obscure knowledge, uh, you need a 12 instead of an 18. So it's, it's not really described as a plus six, but what it amounts to is a plus six. And humans have three primary attributes and the demi-humans have two primary attributes and that's basically the core of castles and crusades is that siege engine that replaces uh what 3.0 uh, 3.5 uh their skills and their feats all of that is effectively replaced <laughs> by the siege engine Great. yeah and i'm really really glad it did yeah. Right. It's yeah. like they took a similar approach that I know that uh, the Chinos and, uh, and Joseph Goodman are good, good friends. And with DCC, I think that, you know, they went with the route of like using like deeds to replace feats and skills are just kind of like, you know, with the skill section in DCC is what a page. Um, and so they, they took similar uh, there was the 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 goal was similar, but the method they chose were pretty different. If so that makes sense. Another great thing is, is they're in their seventh printing. So, yeah, uh, Castles and Crusades has been out since two thousand four. They're in their seventh printing of the Player's Handbook. Yeah, the game has changed very little. They've updated some things. They've added some things. They fixed some typos. Uh, but if you have a first printing or second printing or third printing, you can still sit down at the table and play. Essentially what is now, you know, the yeah, latest printing. current ed- yeah. editions of the game. Yeah. I'll say the current edition made some large improvements on um, topography and layout uh, that I'll get into later. Oh, sure. But right. I, Seventh edition is is nice. Uh, if I had started with seventh this edition, printing, they they don't. They, seven, there's yeah, no edition printing. wars in Sorry. Castles and Crusades. Seventh <laughs> printing. Uh, 
uh, made some huge improvements. And you can get the player's handbook for free. Is that? Oh yeah, is the, that still a thing? PDF. Yeah, currently the PDF is free on Trollord's website. Yeah, major so uh, props to them for that. Yeah, everyone, everyone should have that. There's really no excuse not to, you know, so you can at least just, you know, check it out, flip through it, see if anything appeals to you. Um, if you like any of the games that we've covered so far, I imagine there'll be something in there that would appeal to you too. Also, so, uh, you only need two books to play, right? Like, yeah, so the, you're, the player's you're handbook. There. Yeah. yeah, the player's handbook and Monsters and Treasure are really the only two books that you need, even though they have countless other books for everything oh yeah codex this codex that codex ad nauseum you know yes that's right uh the the castle keeper's guide is mostly uh, uh optional rules and just extra tidbits you know what i really like about the castle keeper's guide is they take the siege engine they pop the hood open mm -hmm. and they really let you look at like how it works and what you can do yeah. if you want to tinker with it i appreciate that so much right i wish more games uh would uh would follow that example yeah the the castle keeper's guide i almost wanted to pick up just for design game design inspiration uh yeah. there's some great stuff in there the the mass combat system actually yeah uh i know steven is uh an old school gamer and uh, um i've seen him playing war games at gary Con. at least oh, that's that's a question so, you bring up a question who is yeah. the i've i've seen variously that you know, that the, the game is the product of both Chino brothers and a guy named Matt Golden. But then I've seen some that just credit Davis Chino and Matt Golden. So, so Matt Golden and Davis uh, Chenault came up with the game system. Steve kind of runs the company and the setting is more his baby. Okay. Uh, okay. okay. So aired is, is his baby. Okay. Uh, so if you look at like the player's handbook, it says uh, by Davis Chenault and Matt Golden. Right. With Steve Chenault, Mark Sandy, Todd Gray, and Jim Ward. There you go. Credited as additional Very nice. contributors. So it, it, it's a pretty solid system. If you've played any form of D&D &D in your life, you already know how to play. Uh, that's pretty much true classes levels stats long swords they all pretty much work the yeah. same uh they've they've kind of uh streamlined a lot of things so stuff that in first edition seemed a little wonky like the monk or the bard class they they've made them a bit more uh accessible yeah i think uh i think the term in gaming is uh elegance i mean when they talk about an elegant solution in an rpg uh specifically rule uh referring to the rules i think that that's what they're talking about and um you know i'll touch upon this later when we talk about what we liked and what we didn't like so also a little bit about their their past is they were tied in pretty tight with gary gygax and they yes. were putting out lots of gary gygax product uh, yeah. prior to his passing, including uh, the Castle Zagig uh, that Nixburg. he was working yeah. with uh, Jeffrey Talanian on, on some of those. 
And I think they also re-released Legendary Adventures. That's right. And so they were in pretty tight. And Gary Gygax talked very highly of Castles and Crusades. Yes. And there's... Uh, there's a Gygaxian stamp on it. Like one of the thing that's one of the things that struck me as I was reading it was uh, reading through the seventh edition or seventh printing of the <laughs> player's handbook uh, was just very, it, it has a very Gygaxian feel to the, the, not just the, the system, but the kind of almost implied setting one thing that struck me is that it has a very borderlands um keep on the borderlands sort of feel throughout it in fact like it has a like a lot of western elements uh all of the wizards wear cowboy hats in the art it seems like (laughs) um which is interesting um but it just made me it made me think of kind of the implied post-apocalyptic settings that gary was was a fan of and um yeah it just uh had that that feel to it out of all the games uh dnd clones retro clones that have all the shades of dnd that i've encountered over the years castles and crusades is the one to me that most embodies the feel of first edition while still embracing more modern game mechanics for sure without trying to get too modern with their game mechanics or or overly or excessively modern they, they've made minor changes to what the old school systems were like yeah i mean the the one of the things that stands out to me is the the d20 um three 3.5 um kind of roots are are evident but it has none of the complexities that were there that detracted from the game. I felt like um, it it simplified three five in a way that made it feel like you said exactly first edition feel where there's some real crunchiness to it, uh, and but simple enough in that they modernized the rules. Um, the saving throws and challenge base um, section of the player's handbook, I thought was a really well modern take on explaining RPG rules. And they did right. a really good job of like telling basically the castle keeper exactly what they needed to do to run the game. In fact, I think you could read that section and then just run the game. Like you wouldn't need to read a whole lot else. Right. So I've routinely run large groups uh, in Castles and Crusades. And, and I know Steve Chenault does gigantic tables at GaryCon, 20-plus players. But I've several times ran 9, 10, 11 players at higher levels even, uh, you know, above 10th level. And you can get through combats relatively quick where in 3.0, 3.5, and Pathfinder, yeah, not I've case. had 7th-level <laughs> combats take two hours you know everyone has so many options of what they can do not that i have anything wrong with games that give you more options but handling if you want to have eight or nine or ten players at your table and you're any level at all uh third edition 3.5 and pathfinder 
can can really slow the table down. Fifth edition D and D streamlines out a bit, but Castles and Crusades handles the larger groups as well as any other game that I've ever played. It handles the large groups even better than AD&D. So, so let's go ahead and get into the things that we like about it. So let's start with Rick. Oh, man. Um, <laughs> I had my mind completely wrapped around something I was going to bring up, and now you've... Uh, you've oh, bring it up. Bring it yeah, up. Yeah, just bring that All up. All right. Well, uh, before we got into likes and dislikes, I was going to bring up... Uh, what do you guys think about the name? I mean, if you were not... Uh, uh, aware of your, you know, D and D history, would you think that that was a good name? Because if you're uh, not aware of your D and D history, wouldn't you sort of have a preconception of a game called Castles and Crusades being about mm. one of two things: either like lords or ladies, and uh, knights and that sort of thing, or uh, even more un- unfortunate, uh, holy wars. Uh, yeah. Uh, yeah. The game's not about that at all. <laughs> it's it's true. It's about you know going through dungeons and fighting monsters and taking their stuff. But uh, the name, uh, and I'll probably let Todd uh, <clears throat> explain the name. Um, it, it it you have to there, you have to have some additional uh, knowledge to put it in perspective. And yeah. because you threw me on the spot, Todd, I'm going to throw you right back on the spot and have you explain the name. Why, thanks, Rick. Uh, <laughs> as I, I, I'm as you, as you, into another as you direction. As you fill for time. <laughs> uh, so I thought you knew this off the top of your head. The name is based off of the Castles and Crusades Society, right. which would have been formed by Gary Gygax and Rob Kuntz in 1970, which at the time was probably more about maybe fighting wars, maybe even holy wars. I, I, I don't mm-hmm. know. So a very fitting name guys from a wargaming background. Yeah, guys with a wargaming background. You know, increasingly D&D. more interested in like stuff that dealt with fantasy and and that sort of thing. Right. Uh, probably playing chainmail. A lot of chainmail. Uh, and not actually delving into any dungeons, but maybe fighting some dragons. Yeah, I think it was Dave Arneson that brought the dungeon into Dungeons and Dragons. Yeah. Yeah. So that's true. Uh, we might have to discuss Blackmore on another day. We, I think, we could do a, a whole episode on Blackmore. Yeah, but I but digress. just uh, just as a, sort of a cautionary note for those that might either be disappointed uh, upon like looking further into Castles and Crusades because it doesn't deal that much with Castles and Crusades, or for someone that might have been interested in it. Had they known that it didn't do that, I thought we should cover that. Yeah, for sure. Right. I, the The crusade part to me is um, a little unfortunate. It's a problematic period of history for sure. That's why. So, that's why I brought it up. Is that yeah. it really doesn't? I mean, maybe somebody out there is using it. You know, with a heavy influence of of like only not only castle life, but like uh, holy warriors and crusades, but. Uh, I don't know of it. So, so um, it, it was a, a, a bit of a misnomer, yeah. but it was based on something historically tied into the creators and originators of D&D. And it's catchy. And we can call it CNC. 
Yeah. CNC, D&D, you know, you can see the appeal. Yeah, it flows off the tongue really well. You can well. see the appeal. Well, so, and it was, it was, it was, before, C becomes before D, and Gary got sued for calling something uh, D&D. Right. What, uh, dangerous and, oh, was it? I know what you're talking about, but I can't recall exactly what he was going to uh, call it either. So, so CNC is, is yeah. before that and can't be yeah. sued because it's not D&D, so. Right, right. And, you know, 16 years in, we're not at, we're not going to petition to have them change the name to the Arkansas role-playing game. <laughs> but, okay, let, let's get on to likes. <laughs> Are you ready, Rick? I actually had something else. Was, you know, I'm just like, today's my day for stirring the pot. And rather than uh, having discussed this with you guys before we got on air, mm. I thought I'd bring it up now. Um, I think from, uh, from henceforth, um, since we talk about different shades of D&D, we should talk about the way an iconic spell like Magic Missile is handled. So, I mean, oh, it, yeah. where some games do it as an auto hit. Some games do it uh, where you have to roll to hit. How does, uh, how does Castles and Crusades treat a uh, good old Magic Missile? Exactly like AD&D AD First Edition. Yep, yep. It's a, an auto in, hit. Including the amount of damage. D4 plus one. Uh the number of missiles you get per caster level mm -hmm. and the auto hit. So yeah. it, it exactly mirrors AD and D. Okay. Well, I didn't stir the pot as much as I thought. It's always, it's always interesting to me, by the way, that like in OD and D, AD and D magic missile is one of the spells that, that levels as the caster gets more powerful, right? Which is not very Vancian actually. Um, um true well yeah. fancy and magic is most people refer to fancy and magic is not all that fancy and so they, you know well, maybe yeah. that makes sense yeah it's just interesting to me that there's um there's like a mechanic inside of a mechanic there from a game design perspective yeah. right all right well i won't i won't halt up likes and dislikes any further <laughs> <laughs> so here we go rick's likes take oh, one man. <laughs> sound effects Thanks, clapper Carlos. clapper um this one's a tough one for me i mean uh to get specific um i don't dislike the siege engine mechanic uh i admire like that it accomplishes i think the goal that they wanted it to cover um it just it doesn't really completely bowl me over um but uh i enjoy uh i guess uh I should add that uh, I play in a biweekly CNC game that uh, Todd here runs. I enjoy it immensely. Um, uh, but finding one thing about CNC that's not present in like every other game that we've covered is a, is a tough one for me. I guess, uh, I guess my like is they really don't do anything wrong or that I, I absolutely dislike. Um, that doesn't mean I might have something to say when we cover dislikes. It's just <laughs> that um, for the most part, um, I think I made the point off air that CNC is always going to be like, you know, my second choice. And that's not the silver medal is not a bad thing. Um, it's just that on any other, uh, I think I made the, uh, pardon my sports analogy, but um, it's like it was, if it was on the, the 1990s Chicago Bulls, it would be Scottie Pippen. And Scottie Pippen would have been the absolute star of that 
that team, if not for a guy named Michael Jordan. Um, and like, as far as like who I correlate with Michael Jordan, that's probably pretty obvious, but we're not talking about that right now. We're talking about CNC. So it's like, to me, in many ways, one of the second best D and D alternatives out there. James, what do you have to say? Oh, I, I actually have things to say for once. This is good. <laughs> good. Uh, so, so a couple of things. I, I, I'm glad to see you, you, you've decided to earn that salary. This, this you know, I, I, I feel like, you know, sometimes you, you have to earn it, right? Like you that's, show that's right. I mean, payroll is a little slow. Well, and, yeah. And contract negotiations are coming up after uh, next at, episode. Yeah. So, at, uh, D 50 shades, but you know, so, so one of the things I like about it, uh, kind of what Rick alluded to in a way, is that um, it is a very well-balanced player in the old-school role-playing game community. Uh, it is a complete game. Uh, so one of the things that struck me as I was reading through the, the new edition of the, of the uh, Player's Handbook is that... Um, contrasted with other you know light fantasy rule systems that i'm i'm uh, a fan of uh it actually does a really good job of explaining how to play the game if you've never played a role-playing game so it would be a great system for anyone to start with to be honest um the the gm section i thought was really good the um amount of detail uh they they go into for uh, saving throw challenge base and how and how to use the system uh, was just right. It wasn't too long, wasn't long-winded. Uh, they didn't spend a ton of time on what a role-playing game is, but they did spend a little bit of time. Um, so it's a complete system. Uh, the other thing I liked was that illusionists are like a first class, you know, part of the system. Uh, you don't see that very often, and it was interesting. So um, it feels very old school. It feels AD&D in that you have Barbarian, you have Ranger, you have, you know, a few um, uh, Monk, a few things that were brought in there, uh, and Illusionist is in there too. So um, it, it struck the old school feel for me um, pretty well. I like that the, the player's handbook is basically all you need to play uh, if you didn't need monsters. So right. monsters is, and treasure is, is the other book you need for sure. Um, which is, uh, I enjoyed that book too. My, uh, I have maybe something for, for on the negative side of that when, when we uh, talk about dislikes, but okay. I I, um, I like that it's a complete game, all in one book, pretty much. Cool. So uh, when I'm describing why I like Castles and Crusades, uh, my big go-to is it doesn't get in my way. It's like the way my brain automatically thinks about role-playing games, uh, the things that I want to do in role-playing games, it's just there. It works for me. It does what I need to do. And there's nothing in the system that I feel the need to overlook or brush out all the classes and races that are included. 
the magic items and the spells that are included, I, I don't feel like anything is going to disrupt the kind of fantasy role-playing game that I want to play. I've also... So you're okay with the fact that there's not a cat girl? <laughs> yeah, yeah. Tieflings, Dragonborn. Exactly. Which, which completely disrupts the mindset that my brain automatically goes to when I'm formulating my fantasy role-playing adventures in my head. <laughs> Not that any of those things are, are bad things in general. It's just they don't always fit into my head or my game plan unless I, I'm really ready for it. And the other thing I love about Castles and Crusades is for years I've been able to run classic AD&D adventures countless times using Castles and Crusades, making quick conversions on the fly even, making those classic modules more accessible to newer players. There's an inexpensive player's handbook they can buy to join the game or a free PDF. And the, the play style of the adventure modules marries perfectly with Castles and Crusades. In fact, the aired setting was Steve Chenault's AD&D setting. And so the, the two things marry together perfectly. And it, it has allowed me over the years to bring a lot of new younger players basically into the world of Greyhawk and classic Gygax adventures. More recently, well, for the last couple of years, we've actually been adventuring in their uh, homebrew setting, aired. And we've been enjoying the crap out of that. So those are, uh, uh, there are many, many little likes that I can find all through it. But those, those are, are the two big major ones. You, uh, you brought up bringing new players into it. Uh, would you agree since right now, a uh, bit of a backstory, um, Todd and I are also uh, on every other Saturday night, we have a long running AD&D game uh, that Todd is running for us. And one of our players uh, who we affectionately call hockey Jason, because we have more than one Jason um, is kind of like a one E guy that really has never uh, had any inclination to check out second edition, third edition, fourth edition, fifth edition. And so right now we are taking a spin through fifth edition just to show some of the other players, you know, if they're going to like dog on it, they might as well know what they're dogging on it. Do you think that castles and crusades might've like appealed to Jason more than fifth edition uh, does? Absolutely. Because, yeah. Yeah, I do too. I think that uh, he would probably, I'm not saying that he would forswear first edition for it, but I think he'd be much more inclined to play that than he would to be fifth edition. And this is coming from someone who has, I like fifth edition and I like the fact that we're taking this little jaunt through fifth edition, but he's already made some comments and you can tell that it's mm -hmm. just, it's never really going to be his, his, his D and D of choice. And that's fine. That's, that's why we have so many choices that we can make. I also have no doubt that your uncle Steve <laughs> would be okay with playing castles and crusades well above and beyond uh 
any edition of D&D past second. Yeah, yeah. Well, you know, Uncle Steve, that's a, that's a unique case. And uh, we could probably talk James's mom into playing if I promise not to kill her. <laughs> I, I, I think the system is, uh, I, it, it maintains the deadliness of, of 1E. So a TPKing uh, my mom is definitely um, something that could happen and is a concern. Right. So, Rick, let's talk about dislikes. Uh, dislikes. Okay. Well, we've talked, uh, and it came up in our likes, about how it seems that it so smoothly brings that first edition feel back into, you know, third edition mechanics. Um, and maybe my, one of my like dislikes, rather, is maybe it's too smooth. In the sense that uh, I would have liked to seen a little bit the occasional sharp edge, and I'll define sharp edges like something like the ranger getting two d eight uh, as a first level character. Um, is that elegant? Is that great game design? Maybe not, but I really liked it. Um, or percentile strength, or psionics, or just something that. You know, I guess by modern school of uh, game design is looked upon as like, uh, like an antique or uh, uh, way too uh, outdated. But uh, I just I love those things, and so I I would have liked to seen. And I know the argument is like you know, oh you can you can house rule that right back in with almost like no work whatsoever. Yeah, but I like it when a game like takes a stand and. Uh, uh, I think DCC did that. I hate to keep bringing up DCC, um, but uh, but maybe uh, CNC does not, and maybe that's why I can't get as passionate about CNC as I can about um, DCC. Uh, so, oh, uh, the artwork also is is very professionally done. Um, I think that the cover to the latest player's handbook is probably one of the most D&D images the alternate that has cover. ever been made uh, in the sense that, you know, they're in the middle of like fighting what, a dragon? And like an armored fighter is taking the time in the fight, in the middle of the fight to kneel and inspect a treasure. He's got like a big gem that he's like removed from. And that is, that could not be more D&D. Uh, I've played eyes. with that guy. So, uh, um, Kudos Certainly. to them for that. But the interior that. artwork, uh, I think it's largely the work of like one artist. Uh, what is the guy's Peter name? Peter Bradley. Peter Bradley. Um, professional. Uh, uh, but it just for some reason, sort of like uh, going back to like maybe too smooth. Maybe I would have preferred some more hard edges. And James brought up like the, the cowboy hat wearing wizards. Uh, that kind of threw me a little bit. Um, uh, there's certainly pieces uh, in the interiors that I like, but uh, the, the cut and the covers I think are largely very well done, especially that player's handbook uh, image. But um, um, it's just not definitely my cup of tea. James? Um, so. Real quick before I get into dislikes, I had one more like, uh, unless we're going to, are we going to do this, what would you steal section? Maybe I'll save it for that. Yeah, yeah, we'll do, we'll do that. Okay, all right, I'll save it for that. Spoilers. Uh, spoilers. <laughs> uh, so, um, 
couple dislikes for me. Um, so I, I feel like this is like my spot in the show that I have to talk about topography and layout. So um, <laughs> we can make that like a routine you can, thing. You know? Yeah, you can, you can skip this part. We should have some intro music that. for this section. <laughs> <laughs> uh, I'm sorry. Well, so skip the podcast forward. I want to first, I want to first preface this that this is something that Troll Lords has gotten better at over the ages. Uh, their products in general have, have come a very long way, leaps and bounds. Uh, I've had some, some, some problems in the past with their layout and topography. Uh, this newest edition is very good. Um, the layout particularly is good. Uh, there's some topography stuff that bothers me. Um, one of them being the whole Sapia uh, light brown ink um, with a um, parchment background on every page. I'm really not a fan of parchment background at all, especially if it's underneath the text, which they did not do. Uh, they did a good job of separating the background from the text, but it still makes it a little bit harder to read. Um, and the the print edition has glossy pages. And so I think between the glossy page and the Sapia, not, uh, you know, uh, and the tan um, parchment, uh, it makes it a little difficult to read. Uh, it's, it's not high contrast. Uh, so if you have some vision issues already, um, you know, low contrast uh, is, is hard to read. Um, but the typeface in, in the newest edition is really good. And the table layouts, uh, they did a really good job with. Uh, and the actual layout of the pages are good. So um, minor, minor quibble just like there uh, from me. Uh, let's see, uh, other things that uh, I dislike. Uh, so I think maybe a little bit to Rick's point, the, the art, um, I would like to see more of it, really. Um, the It's full color everywhere, which is great uh, from a value standpoint. But to be honest, like one of the things I that brings nostalgia to me for old school uh, role-playing games is black and white art, uh, line art. And um, I'd like to see a little bit more line art, to be honest. Um, maybe, maybe this is like an embarrassment of riches situation. Um, <laughs> but you know, maybe replace that that parchment background with some line art in 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 the um, you know on the edges. I don't know. Like um, you know, it it seems um, very serious in the art style too so like i don't know maybe some some line art cartoon uh old tsr style cartoons in there would be would be welcomed i just just my my feeling uh have you, seen, really... the, uh, have you seen the box set that they did that uh you know it was i think castles and crusades was like oh. <laughs> sorry i was leaning away from the microphone um I think when they first debuted it at Gen Con, <clears throat> they came out with a, uh, they had a box set that kind of like uh, mimicked the uh, old white box or brown box, um, Dungeons and Dragons uh, box. And uh, while it um, 
I don't have like one of those. I think those were limited to like 300 and they were signed mm-hmm. and numbered. I have, uh, I think they did a Kickstarter and they did another one and it does have some black and white line art. Uh, but to be honest, only on the cover, I think all the interior pieces are just color pieces from that they've used over the years that they rendered in black and white. So it's not quite the same, but uh, nice. I know we're on Zoom. So, uh, so you can see that. Oh but yeah, there is. Okay, some, uh, I would buy. I would buy that. Yeah, it has a. It, so, just for everybody not on Zoom, it has a very like OD&D feel of a black and white cover with red. An adventuring party in a cold war, and you know, yeah. um, brandishing weapons and wands and whatnot. But uh, yeah, um, definitely has more of I think the feel that you were talking about. Uh, I'm pretty sure they're re-releasing that box set again. Oh, nice. Oh, all right. Well, I, I will pick that up. And to be honest, like this is one of those, if you're an older school player uh, and you've been playing, you know, since the eighties or, or, or seventies or before, or yep. before uh, <laughs> then, you know, maybe this is, you know, maybe you're like me and you, you have this opinion, but honestly, like the more I think about it, if you were coming from fifth edition and you just wanted to try something simpler, I think the art style actually, um, and and some of the you know um, topography actually would probably appeal to fifth edition players because it has a similar full color you know glossy page that that is you know part of fifth edition. So yep, a lot of uh, their adventures are re-released have been also released as fifth edition adventure modules. I hear uh, really good things about the A line uh, in particular. Um, um, I think, as a matter of fact, I think that's what Todd is running us through yeah, right now. Yeah, and uh, yeah, it's a lot of fun. The the haunted Highland setting, by by the way, has a lot of line art. And oh yeah, yeah, we really should. Good, that's fantastic. Uh, and settings. I mean, they have what? I think we established they have four plus settings. Yeah, I I have uh, Astalia and the haunted Highlands, which I think are in the same setting. Yeah, and um, those are. Great we already mentioned and, Aird, and then yeah. there's uh, Bluffside. Um, yep. So I think, yeah. So don't forget, it's also compatible with Amazing Adventures. Well, that's true. It's true. Yeah. So uh, if I were to pinpoint my dislikes, uh, one that I, I know everyone is pretty familiar with, they do have some typos and Famous editing problems. So that, and they know, and every printing, they fix some more stuff. And actually, I don't know if I told you guys this, a friend of mine that I played D&D with in school has actually worked as an editor on some of their more recent releases. Well, thank you. Yeah, yeah. They've improved. So so that's one thing. Uh, Another is sometimes there are things referenced in some of their books or their adventures that it's, it's kind of assumed that we know oh and there might not actually be like a ruling what one famous thing is there's nothing in the book about throwing lit flasks of oil uh so there there's some vagueness there so i always have my first edition dungeon master's guide and player's handbook so so i guess this is a good thing in that the games are close enough that if there's anything not addressed in the Castles and Crusades book, 
uh, I just automatically default it to whatever my first edition book says. And that's how we deal with flasks of oil. You know, I guess if I had to roll on the infectious disease chart or the harlot table, I, I guess I would use my Dungeon Master's Guide. So, yeah. and, so, and here's another thing I've been diving into lately. I, I, I'm a stats guy. I love crunching numbers. And the way Castles and, and Crusades is built off of uh, the open gaming license in third edition, a lot of the player character races, or not races, but classes, have extra things that first edition AD&D didn't have. In contrast to that, the monsters seem to be much more direct conversions from AD&D. So I feel that as you go up in levels in Castles and Crusades, it gets easier than it was in first edition AD&D uh, in, in certain ways and in certain aspects. Uh, so I crunched some numbers, put in a 50 level fighter against an ogre and a 10th level fighter against the hill giant. And it's about 17 or 18% easier for the fighter to take down the monster one-on-one. -on -one. Uh, wizards get cancer. <laughs> That's impressive, Todd. 17.3 yeah. repeating, of yeah, course. Yeah, some, somewhere in there. <laughs> so, and, and wizards get... I think Todd has lost track of this, his, his dislikes. <laughs> so, so and, and wizards have cantrips that in first edition AD&D would have been first level spells. So wizards can come out of the gate not having to use a first level spell slot for for instance detect magic and so they can have more offensive spells or more useful spells because utility so so anyway uh ad and d actually i i think gets a little hard to challenge the players once you get 12th level castles and crusades it, it can be even tougher. So I, I've been working on equations to toughen things up, maxing out the hit points of creatures. Uh, when they fight giants, I give them strength and damage bonuses. But that being said, Castles and Crusades is really a great game. It's, it's my go-to game. It's one of my favorite games. And that's probably why I can spend a whole day sitting around nitpicking it because I've spent so much time with it. So hmm. this is our, this is our, what, fifth episode? Or the fifth game that Six. we've covered? Sixth, sixth episode. So yeah. is this the first time that we have come across that where this is someone's definitive favorite game, favorite shade of D&D? Oh, I think so. Oh, yeah, I think All you're right. All right, mark this one down, folks. So uh, what would you steal from it? Let's, let's roll into the Thieves Guild. Rick, what would you steal from it? It has a monk. It has a monk class. I think every game should have a monk class. I'll, <laughs> I'll fight you on that. I will fight you open-handed. Uh, I will use the, <laughs> the shimmering palm on you uh, if you disagree. So uh, I like that. I really like, I know we said we were only going to talk about like the, the two main books really, or the three main books, but uh, they did a book called The Adventures Backpack, which is, Really, if you think about it, an odd product, but I find that it's really appealing. Um, it's a book where it has a backpack for every occasion. So if you're rolling up a character and you don't want to like 
take all those equipment lists and go through them with a fine pick and comb and, and, uh, and uh, you have to divide up your, your gold pieces and your copper pieces and your silver pieces to figure out what your you can afford. Pieces. You can just grab one of these uh, backpacks. Uh, they have, a, I think, a, a value. Um, like uh, you can have all this for this. Oh, okay. 35 gold pieces? Damn, sold. And then you have all that work done for you and they have them broken down for, you know, depending on what class you play, depending on what race you play, depending on what your role in the party is. I thought it was genius. I love it. They also include a number of new classes in that. And I think some races too. And I found in Todd's game, I found both of, I, I'm running a, uh, a dual class character. Uh, or split class character, and uh, both of those uh, class choices came from the uh, adventurer's backpack. That's another thing I like is the way that uh, Castles and Crusades handles dual class, split class. They even take it; they took it and ran with it. So they have like uh, Todd knows more about it because Todd's the one that recommended the book that has all that stuff to me. But uh, I really like the way they have simplified that. Um, and that's coming from the guy that earlier in the show said that, well, I wish there were more, you know, everything's so smooth. I wish there were more hard edges. Well, not in that sense. I like it when they make things easier on me and that made things easier. James, what would you steal? Uh, before I steal, I just remembered one, one other dislike. And this is like <laughs> about monsters and treasure. And it's a, a really minor dislike, but it, it was kind of funny to me. Uh, the Monsters and Treasure book is really good if you love monsters. Uh, it, it should be retitled uh, Monsters and a Couple Treasures. Uh, <laughs> because 98% of the book is the monster section. And there's like, uh, I, I'd have to look at the page count, but the, it, the very, very few pages uh, in comparison was spent on treasure, uh, which is interesting to me, um, especially with its AD and D, uh, first ad roots, uh, right. which, you know, has a huge, you know, treasure kind of component to, to it. Um, anyway, that, that was a dislike I'd forgotten. Um, so from what I would steal though, uh, two things really, um, the, the most substantial thing I would steal, I think is the challenge, uh, base and how, um, how they choose to set, uh, target numbers and, and the saving throws. I think that is a pretty good explanation of that and has some good DM advice on how to do that and how to make it work. I would steal that and use that in other games. Um, you know, maybe the, the actual numbers change a little bit based on, you know, what your core mechanic is. It, yeah, it works really well. Uh, as far as the other thing I would steal that I really liked, uh, in the new edition of the Player's Handbook, um, okay. page 77 uh, is a short spell description of all the spells. And Oh, uh, yeah. Yeah, so here's my thing. Um, take those pages and throw out the other ones because it tells you everything you need to know about the spell. If you're willing to just make things up uh, and make rulings and not rules. So if I were running maze, uh, let's see um, uh, maze rats or Ben Milton's knave um, and I needed a spell list, 
I would steal page 77 on of all the spells. I mean, (laughs) it's just real short descriptions like dispel magic, cancels magical spells and effects, spiritual weapon, uh, divine weapon attacks on telepathic command. Like, that's it. And so it's like, you know, fit all the spells fit on just a few pages and there's a lot of them to choose from. Um, I will say they also did a really good job of putting the page number that the full description is on to the right of it. That actual presentation and layout was fantastic. So whoever did that, uh, that table layout design was really good. Good job. So one one of my favorite things in the game, it's not in the first printing of the book. I'm not sure which printing it pops up in maybe the third or fourth when they start talking about multi-classing. I know it was after some of the Gygax Zagig stuff came out because they wanted multi-classing available and it was in one of the those books. The class and a half multi-class. I love the class and a half to where, you know, you you know, you're not equally a fighter and a wizard. You can be a fighter and like half a wizard of what level you are. I, I love the way they've done that. And Rick talked about the Adventurer's Backpack. My favorite book outside the core, two or three books, is the Expanding Classes because it gives you s- several multi-classing options. And I feel that there is no game on the planet that you can better make Fafford and Grey Mouser with mm. than Castles and Crusades and the Expanding Classes book. Ooh, high praise. So wow. You, yeah. You can fly that up the flag, and that's that's my bold statement for the day. So I, I think we're uh, running a little long on time, so we might need to wrap things up. Uh, so we'll head out with some advice from the Good Advice Dwarf. As always, never split the party. Never shoot into melee. Listen and check for traps. Uh, that's it for episode six. See ya. See ya, everybody. Bye. Whew.